Hola, bienvenidos, bienvenidas. Welcome back. Natalie here, your host at Practical Alchemy. We're in the midst of season two, sitting down with powerful Latina practitioners in partnership and collaboration with Latinas Who Meditate. And today I have the absolute honor of chatting with Rocio Navarro. I was able to snag a quick slip of time of her calendar before she heads into her her silent retreat, the retreat that she's leading, which we'll talk about. But Rocio is an incredible practitioner who has been in my field that some sisters have recommended that I look into and connect with her. And she is an LA native of Mexican ancestry. She specializes in creating healing experiences with water, the beautiful modality of water healing. Rocio is a ceremonialist, a spiritual counselor, an energy healer, and an artist. And Rocio, I'm so honored to be sitting down with you today. Thank you for being here. It's an honor. Thank you for inviting me to be on here and to share. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we were just chatting. I was sharing with you that I actually have a lot of water in my chart. I have a stellium in Scorpio. And then it's pretty evenly distributed, actually. I have like Libra Sun, Aquarius Moon, Sag Rising. And I'm curious about your placements. Do you have a lot of water in your chart? So I am a Pisces Sun. I was born in the spring equinox. I am a Gemini Moon and a Leo Ascendant. So I do have a Scorpio placements. It's generally distributed between fire, water, and air. I actually don't have a lot of our earth placements. I think the only saving grace is Venus. Venus is in Taurus, so it's exalted in its home place. But I feel like in some ways that's the teaching of the elements is to be able to create the balance. And for me, it's about grounding. It seems like it's about grounding into the earth, all of the teachings and the energies that we're imprinted with. Mm, I love that. And I think it's so powerful how you said that's the medicine of the elements, of finding the balance, finding where to pull in, where we might be lacking, whether it's a season, a chapter, or just our overall predisposition and blueprint. And so for you, I'm curious, have you always been in the healing arts or did this work come later in your life? Yeah, so good question. I have always been in the healing arts since I can remember, especially being young. We used to grow curanderas back at home in Michoacan when we used to visit family. We would see sobadoras. So it was a part of my upbringing uh, growing up. My dad's side of the family, there's doctors. Two of my uncles studied medicine. So in some ways, the healing field has been a part of the trajectory of my family lineage, and it's been a part of me for a long time. Since I was 18, I was involved with a lot of organizational work with indigenous uh, communities across uh, the United States and Mexico, and really always curious about the healing modality and in all aspects, in the holistic approach, in a very holistic way, looking at like social justice from the lens of healing. So that has always definitely been part of my trajectory. I studied sociology studied gender, ethnicity, and multicultural studies. So that had always been part of my framework, but I didn't really delve deeper into the healing arts until right around the time that I was finishing college. And then a couple years after, which has been the last 11 years, I've mostly just focused on this modality with water and kind of combining all of the elements coming into fruition with this work and supporting it and growing it. 
Wow. And was there a catalyst that jolted you diving into working with water? How did water as a modality, water as a healing medium find you or did you find it? Yeah. So it's interesting. I always reference this pivotal moment in my life when I was about 12 years ago that really took me on this like journey to discover the path that I'm in right now. But really looking back at my life, my name, Rocio, means water. It's the dew of the morning in Spanish. Pisces, as we talked about. So it's water was always the place that I would find refuge since I was really young. I loved being in bodies of water, going to the lake, going to the river. The ocean wasn't place that I would go often, especially if some of you grew up in Los Angeles, know that sometimes heading out to the West side, especially if you're on the East side, it was really hard to connect to the West side unless you had more flexibility of time. And some of the conditions obviously growing up didn't allow for that. But I grew up around the Royal Seco here in Los Angeles. So I had access to water in that way. And it really provided a lot of healing for me in the time and in the environments that I was growing up in the 90s, where it wasn't necessarily the safest, nor it wasn't the most safe environment and time to grow up in. And so I would say that had always been part of the experience for me growing up and connecting to water in that way. But it wasn't until 11 years ago, 12 years ago, that I really catapulted into this experience with water. So I will say that the journey into this path was a dream. I was working as a dean of a high school. I was completely exhausted. I ended up having interesting call to listen to. And I ended up just grabbing a backpack and without knowing, following the Mayan route every day for a couple months until I ended up at a meditation center that I've been studying with for 11 years now. And it was during that time that I was in a process preparing for a big bout of silence and of 50 days. And it was during that experience that I got to see and foresee the path that would unfold in front of me. So I ended up seeing myself through visions, through dreams that I would be birthing people in the water. I thought midwifery would be my path. It felt very clear at that time I was doing birth work already and connected to other birth workers. And little did I know that nine months after coming out of that bouts of silence, I ended up discovering the water path. And I said, oh, okay, what I was being told in some way or guided to was that I would eventually lead and drop into this path in some way. And ever since that moment, it's been dedication of many years and focusing on this craft and this healing modality. And it's been quite beautiful, I will say. Wow. So much to unpack. Thank you for walking us through that beautiful journey. And how poetic is it that you were in this bout of silence for nine months? And that is how long babies tend to be in the womb of their mothers. And you almost were like birthed into this whole new chapter, this whole new version. And tell us about the Mayan path, what was that? Was it like a trade route? How did you find it? Was it you just found yourself on it? Yeah. So dear friend of mine at that time was leading a seven-day retreat in the Yucatan. And there were seven of us from LA that ended up going on this journey. And we were visiting the sacred Mayan feminine sites in the Yucatan. And it was a pilgrimage that in some ways I felt symbolically 
was in my personal life, the ushering of me going on this journey with these women, visiting the sacred Mayan temples and buying a one-way ticket and still not knowing what my life would be afterwards. And so once they left and we went on this beautiful experience, I ended up just every day waking up and saying, where do I need to go? Just guide me, guide me, guide me. And again, every day I would be guided to a temple. And so without knowing, I was just following the route all the way down south and being, I would say, learning about, but also remembering. It felt like a process of remembering, being able to be in these like sacred vortices for a period of time and going on this personal journey. It was almost like the energy of that place, of those places of time and space were really energizing my soul in a particular way. And I was listening. I was listening as in through the development of my intuition, I would say in that time, it, it sparked that ability to listen to what life and how life wants to guide you. And I was definitely guided. I will say that. So it was really powerful to be able to wake up and be on these temples and learn about them and learn about the history and just see the discovery that we're still seeing even now. There's so much more discovery that is happening around these ancient temples, not only in the Mayan culture, but indigenous cultures, ancient cultures around the world that are really going to continue fomenting this like next evolution that we as humans are here to experience. So I was really grateful for that. Wow, what a gift. And I love how you said that activated almost a remembrance for you, right? Yeah. Not all folks believe in past lives, but I have tapped in to quite a bit of some past lives. And there's some that have been really poignant in my, I would say my soul evolution here. And there was one in particular that I remember that wasn't as clear in that moment, but I ended up putting pieces of the puzzle later. But it had to do with the part of the Mayan world connected to El Mirador. El Mirador is like one of the most ancient Mayan cities that's been just recently excavated in the last 30 years. Things like 5%, less than Tikal, that has been excavated. And I remember there's been several experiences that I've had where I remembered aspects of that, that life where wow. I was doing some healing work as a male curandero in that lifetime. So I feel like that was a piece of the puzzle that needed to be remembered in some way. Wow. It's so wild to think that when we go to these places where there is so much ancient history, it can really activate something that is so dormant and yet powerful within us. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. There's a reason why vortices, right? When people say there's vortices around the earth, there's like energy portals in the earth, there's a lot that we can remember and connect to just like the elements, right? And that's why water, even connecting to water in some way has an energy field, has an, a resonance that we can connect to in a really powerful way. Absolutely. And let's talk about water. Let's dive in because there might be a lot of us who have never experienced water in this way. And it's water is an element that makes up such a big part of our human bodies, we drink it, we shower in it, we wash our hands with it. Water is such a prevalent part of our everyday lives. And yet, perhaps not many people have ever experienced water as a healing modality. Could you share with us what that looks like? Why is water such a healing element? And particularly with your work, how you guide people through a healing experience 
having water co-facilitate and support that. Yeah, so water has such a vast uh, range of and a vastness to, to her in so many ways. And one of the ways that I love to work with water is working with her in with intentionality and ritual meaning just focused intention, focused attention. Why? Because not only do we come from water, like you mentioned, we gestated in the fluid of our mother for nine months. We actually come from the sexual fluids of our parents, right? And the sexual fluids, and this is in some ways tied to the work of epigenetics, the sexual fluids also hold a particular memory, right? In terms of what is happening, what is happening in the moment of conception, what is happening in the act of sex, there's an imprinting that is happening between two beings with this electricity that is an energy that is moving through the sexual fluids to be able to really ignite the fire to create, to conceive. Mm. And once we start to gestate inside the fluid of our mother, the memory is there, the memory is there, that we are surrounded in this amniotic fluid. Again, the work of epigenetics has started to track that there's memory in this DNA code wow. and in the water in some ways that we come from generations before, right? And so th this is where we start looking at intergenerational and ancestral coding. And it's really transmitted through this liquid form and that we end up coming from and that end up embodying most of who we are. So when we look at water as an element, it's a memory. It's the ancestral memory. It's an element that also transforms, that cleanses, that holds, right? Because if you are floating in a body of water, if you allow yourself to float, especially in the amniotic fluid inside our mother, we're floating, we're gestating inside of her. And looking at the memory information of water and when we're working with intentionality and when we're working with ritual, and intentionality is really important for me because the intention that we set to the water, it holds that particular resonance. So if we're able to say, hold an intention of love, it'll hold that memory. And there's work that scientific work that has come out proving that water holds memory. The work of Dr. Emoto, who was a Japanese scientist who photographed images of water when there was intentions or emotions of joy yeah. and just seeing the way that the water molecules, how pristine and symmetrical they were versus when there was like rage or hate imprinted in, into the water, then those images would get distorted. And the way that I, because of that and understanding that, then we understand that water is mutable. So water is mutable because it holds the energy of place, right? That's why it also shifts based on its environment. It can move from a river, from the mountain, from this hardened state and melt into the rivers and move through the bodies of water until it actually connects to the ocean. And so it has this adaptability in its essence. And how I mostly work with water is, in my modality, is basically taking a person in body temperature water. And so it's almost like taking someone into the amniotic fluid and the temperature that we felt when we were inside the womb of our mother. And someone is taken into a floating position ears are under the water. And once the ears are under the water, then the external environment is no longer as visible or as poignant at that point, because you're now in an internal state. And I am holding the person. And so as your body floats, the nervous system starts to relax. 
And very quickly, I would say, depending on how the person is able to also let go and how a practitioner is able to hold that person and allow them to surrender, then it's easier to get into a parasympathetic state. And the deeper that we go into a parasympathetic state, the more that our body can also just release. So in some ways, this is the work with the water that I do is somatic in many ways, but it's also working with the memory codes of the water that we're going into but also the water coats that are inside of you. So that remembrance, that release can really happen so that healing can be, can take place. And healing is really just the reframing of the story of the cellular story that we have inside of us. Mm, that statement, healing is the reframing of the story that we have inside of us. That's huge. That's huge. And yeah, for me, I remember when I became aware of Dr. Emoto's work, it was really mind-blowing because it really allows us to create a different relationship with water. And you touched on it a little bit and you talk about that, you talk about how ancestral, intergenerational conception, womb, birth, and early childhood imprints get unveiled during the work. I read that, I think on you shared it online on an article or your website. And I'm curious how you've seen that unfold and why maybe that happened. So again, because our body holds memory, right? The body keeps a score. So that memory is imprinted in the body. And when we start to do this work in the water, we're essentially inviting the nervous system to say, okay, let go and let's enter into the subconscious state and let's see what is there. And let's release what is there by movement, by just energetic release. And so what ends up happening, oftentimes it happens either in the first session or working with someone over a period of time. The first memory that sometimes they have almost immediately is like, I felt like I was back in the womb of my mother. And so it's almost like that memory starts to show up in such a way, or they start to feel a memory that perhaps their mother was feeling when they were inside the amniotic fluid. And it's such an internal, personal conversation, but I see it so often and it's pretty amazing just to have someone have a realization that maybe a lot of the sorrow or the pain that someone was carrying or the guilt or the fear wasn't necessarily something that is conscious, right? Or that has happened very recently in your life, but rather that they're imprints that have happened, perhaps not only in utero, but also is situations that mother or father went through and what had happened with their grandparents. And so this, in some ways, that's the transmission that starts to happen. But there's a particular recollection of that memory that starts to unfold and to communicate in such a clear way when we're doing this work. And there's other folks that they end up remembering, especially folks who have had sexual trauma or who have had a lot of trauma where memories have been blocked memories start to come up and start to just unveil some of the memories that were blocked. And sometimes they feel relevant or sometimes they feel like, I don't even, I don't understand. There's this one part, this memory that came up and I couldn't remember, but I'm remembering a joyful moment that I couldn't remember in childhood. And that changes the way that they relate to their past because they're able to remember a moment that perhaps they had blocked and not wanted to look at because of the experiences that, I, that they have had to go through. Other times there has been experiences where 
there has been a blocking of memory, but then uh, the experience happens or a memory happens and it's not so nice of a memory, but it gives context. It gives context in terms of what are some of the patterns that they're living through in their life. And they start to then feel more empowered to understand more of their life holistically and approach their life from in a different way. So the unconscious in some ways becomes more conscious. The memories give an opportunity to give someone the power to say, okay, I can understand that and maybe explore that a little further or understand that had happened. What do I do with that now? Right. It's almost like the combination of water holding memory. And it seems like people are entering almost this altered state of consciousness during the work and the combination of the two really allow us for people to process perhaps that they haven't been able to. Yeah, there's a reason why I fell in love with this work. So when I was in silence and entering the states that I was able to enter, when I came across the water path, I said, this is a direct way and a very physical way that someone can enter those states without having to necessarily dedicate such an amount of time to be able to be in silence and meditate. And of course, silence and meditation has its incredible benefits. But I found that this was an easier access in so many ways. And the fact that our culture is also very severed from our bodies, that we're a very hyper-thinking culture and that we're not fully integrated and connected to our feeling body or our physical body. That's why I fell in love with this practice because I said this is a way to reweave all of these parts of ourselves in such a whole way, in such a direct way where you get to not only recall memory, but you have enough space now in your body and in your state of mind that you can not only observe what is happening or the memory that's there, but you get to observe it from another state to reshift that perspective and to have a different relationship with it. Wow. I love that you brought that up because I think it's such a beautiful gift to give to people to say there are many ways to approach this, the goal of healing, the goal of entering these altered states of consciousness. Perhaps silence and meditation resonates with somebody. Perhaps for other people, it's plant medicines. Perhaps for other people, it's working with water. For me, it's working with sound. And so I think it's so beautiful that you really touched on there are different access points to achieve this. And it's whatever's going to resonate most with you. And at the same time, I'm so curious about your relationship with silence because we live in such a loud world today. From the perspective of physical perceived sound, we live in a very loud world. And so what has led you to lead silence retreats? What was your experience with silence? What can people expect when entering those spaces of silence? given that everybody might have different experiences, but I'm curious what your experience has been. Yeah, so I've had the privilege and the gift of studying in a school for the past 11 years where I have, I talked in the beginning about being in a process for nine months and being in silence for 50 days. And in that school, I always mention and I always reference that particular school because it felt it is a foundation of, my life in some way, but also what led me to this path. And it has been a consistent process and a continuous process to be able to deepen my understanding of self in some ways. And so 
the opportunity to be in bouts of silence for 50 days, for 30 days, like it's or 21 days. Every experience is different, but there's definitely quite an opening that happens. And it's not necessarily easy. <laughs> I would say it requires a lot of discipline. It requires a lot of focus and a lot of surrender to understand the mind in a different way and to understand aspects of our own psyche and to understand aspects of our own soul and how it speaks and how it communicates. And especially, as you mentioned, in a very distracted, externalized and also hyper-intelligent world where a lot of the focus is up here, that for me, it has provided the opportunity to go inward, to not pay attention to the external stimuli and to understand in essence who am I and what am I connected to? And understanding that connection influences the way that I respond to myself, but also the world. And so it's a very internal, intimate and sacred process, I would say. And of course, there's different forms of meditation and silence, right? There's we, we a lot of folks also understand the process of Vipassana and the, and the experience of Vipassana, which is also a very, very unique and very powerful and beautiful experience. My experience is a little different uh, than Vipassana retreats and the tradition is, is different as well. But I would say in essence, what those experiences do is that they, again, limit the external world to be able to go into an internalized conversation or an internalized knowing of what's inside. And because of that training and that process that I've been going through for the past 11 years, the last six years, I just felt the need of integrating water, somatic healing with water as part of an experience in being in silence. And that embodiment piece for me felt so, so important and in some ways very feminine to not just be exploring our minds and to not only be exploring more of the ethereal aspects of who we are but the emotional aspects in a very integral way was really important. That's where I felt the calling of the feminine in some way. And the water was, it was a beautiful fusion with silence. And that's the reason why I do these like silent retreats in natural hot springs. For the most part, I tend to work with nature, but that's really where all of this came from, just to really fuse the embodiment piece in a more profound way. That was so profound. And it seems like your path has been that of anchoring the feminine medicine, right? With all of these ancient sites that you visited that were such feminine spirit sites and with the water being such a feminine modality and element in the way that you work with her. And I love that you incorporate the water with the silence because it's true. It's like, yes, we can sit in silence and explore the psyche and explore the ethereal aspects, but we also live in these human earth bodies that serve their purpose, have their medicine, have their wisdom. So to balance both, I think is really powerful. And I cannot wait to experience one of your retreats. Like I told you, I it wasn't in alignment for me to join. You're leaving in a week, right? For join this Friday. Yeah, on Friday. In yeah. two days. <laughs> And yeah. so, but I still look forward to it because I fully believe that the big piece of the process is the embodiment and the deep listening that can only come through the integration of all the work that we do, of all the uncovering that we do. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And again, the integration piece is so key with everything. That has also been a big pillar of my work for many years, especially coming out of an experience where my life, after being in silence for quite a bit of time and just having my life kind of flip upside down in some regard and dissolve and me going through this whole death process, I realized how important it was to integrate. And it took me years to be able to find that balance. And I realized that what was needed culturally, and again, in the last 15, 20 years, we've been seeing more of indigenous, like the uplifting of indigenous practices, the uplifting of indigenous medicines, the uplifting of ancient practices in so many different ways. But we opened up the door. However, the door isn't necessarily just as far as we go. Once we open the door, there's still a whole other path that we need to explore. And I would say that In the time that we're in, opening up the door is just a piece of it. Then it's how do we make sense of it? How do we digest it? How do we integrate it into our life? And all of my work always has an integration piece. And I've been doing this for the past 11 years since before integration started becoming more of a a thing. And I hope it continues to do. And this is what we need to continue um, embodying into our daily life. Slowing down, taking things one piece at a time is really important because we can extract more out of that than the the constant consumption of things which the Western world has been so used to doing and living with, right? And so it's quite a bit of undoing that we still have to do to be able to slow things down and to really digest what's in front of us. Mm, That's it. I know when I'm moving too fast, when I quite literally and viscerally crave silence. I envision myself going out into the woods, shutting my phone off. And it's true. It's like we all need that. And it's such an important part of anyone's unfoldment and evolution, especially in the world that we live in today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love how you remind us that we are our own healers. That's my philosophy that I share as well within my practice. So For those listening who want to work with water as a healing modality for themselves, what are some of the ways that they can do that? What are some of the ways that you incorporate ritual into your relationship with water? I would say that the most important part is intention. When we move too fast, we don't pay attention to the sacredness of what's in front of us. And when we start to work with the sacredness of life, it's really important to slow it down. And in particular, when you're working with an element, it's about developing a relationship. And the way that you can do that is intentionality. So I always tell people, if you want to start working with water, the simplest thing is to understand that when you're near it, when you're drinking it, setting that intention to just even recognize the potential of it and how you want to relate to it and what you want to offer to it, right? And so simple practices are ritual baths, which I always feel like it's so obvious, you know, that's an important moment to like bathe and to set the intention to cleanse yourself, especially from all the workings of the day to day, having a glass of water near you during bedtime, setting the intention just simply to connect to it, waking up in the morning and observing it, connecting to it is a way that you subconsciously also start to develop that relationship to it, spending time in nature the body of water in silence. We all, as humans, for the most part, are connected to a body of water that's not too far from us. And just taking the time to just sit and to feel and to set intention and even prayer 
a simple prayer and knowing that is getting imprinted in the water in some way. But I would say that the most important part is just simple rituals as like having a glass of water near you, doing prayer with water, offering water <laughs> with intentionality to others. And when I say offering water, it's really offering yourself because we're bodies of water, offering ourselves with intention also, right? So I always say intend to bless others because when we either curse others or even ourselves, we're sending that message. We're sending that vibration out or inward. And so just remembering that every human is a body of water. So beautiful. Thank you for that. So simple. And it's really such a reminder that this life truly is sacred. And when we move fast, we can lose sight of what we have in front of us. Like for me, this beautiful conversation, I'm just like, oh, I'm so grateful. Thank you for that. And it's so funny too, because I'm in Southern California. You're still in LA too, right? Yeah. And so we're known for not getting a lot of rain. And in the midst, in the beginning of our interview, I'm up in Topanga. I'm looking out my window. It started raining. It's raining. Yeah. yeah. So Mama is celebrating today. <laughs> Absolutely. And Water's always good. Always. And for those wanting to dive deeper with you, with maybe a facilitated experience, how can they find you? Do you have anything coming up that people can look forward to? Yeah, so I do have some winter events that are happening. So I have two silent retreats this fall, one coming up this weekend, another in December. And then I'm preparing for the spring season. So I'm going to take a little hiatus to reconvene. And in the spring season, I will be offering more in-person experiences here and in Mexico. So the best way to follow me is through Instagram, but sign up for my newsletter. That's usually where I send out my offerings first, and then I share them with the rest of the folks on Instagram. So the best way to follow me is through my website at www.rocionavarro.org. And I'm sure you can also just add it on the interview as well. Yeah, we'll add all of these to the show notes. You'll be seeing me in the spring. I'm going to come to any and every offering that you have. I can't wait to experience your work. And thank you for sharing your medicine today. This really was such medicine for me. Selfishly, I'm like, wow, these interviews are really such a beautiful opportunity for me to just receive the medicine from the people that I'm sitting down with. And I'm just so grateful for you. Thank you so much for your time, Lucille. You're so welcome. Thank you, Natalie.